0: It is a Wednesday, and that means we always visit with Brian Walton of com, and we'll do that in just a moment, but I'm Really excited to tell you that these visits have been brought to you by Stratum Structural Systems Waterproofing and Foundation Repair. Matt Ford, uh, who runs that, along with his partner, Brett, they called me last week and said, Hey, we got people that are listening on uh, your website and listening to the podcast, and uh, we've had referral business from there. And the reason why, it's real simple. These people do the best job in St. Louis. So the wet season is coming. And that means you may have issues like basement waterproofing, foundation repair. Maybe you're looking at egress windows. And if that's the case, make sure you go to stratumrepair.com, stratumrepair.com. I only do business with people that I trust, and these guys I trust because they're the best in St. Louis at what they do. The crack repair, the concrete leveling, foundation repair, basement waterproofing, and that's all done, stratumrepair.com. So if you're in line for that type of service, just go to the website. They've got pictures before and after. They do blogs. You go on the site, it's very easy to navigate and to figure out exactly what you may need for your house and specifically for your basement. Again, that's stratumrepair.com. Also, very excited about the fact that we have added Rottler Pest Solutions to scoopswithdannymack.com. They are the most trusted family pest control company in the region. And right now, really good offers going on. They have got a free general pest inspection. Spring around the corner, that's when the pests arrive. And then in the summer, you've got also $35 off pest control. off wildlife removal. I was talking to somebody the other day. They had a raccoon in their, uh, basically their ceiling, and they called uh, Rottler, and it was done taken care of because they're open seven days a week. Same-day services, 24-hour phone lines. They have uh, Saturday scheduling for those that are always working Monday through Friday. So just check out their site, and that's Rottler.com. Thanks to these great sponsors for their support on scoopswithdannymack.com. Let's bring in Brian Walton of TheCardinalNation.com dot com on this Wednesday. Hey, good morning, Brian. How you doing?
1: Good morning, Dan. Um, sure, looking to see good smoke signals out of Jupiter, Florida, but uh, <laughs> nothing going there. So let's talk about minor league.
0: Well, I, I, are you like you know you waiting for a new pope here, or you know you going to the Vatican waiting for the smoke to come out of the chimney, and then we have a resolution? Is that what you are saying here?
1: Hey, I, I like the idea. Either that, or with all the players there, maybe they could have like a home run derby to decide or something. Put Put Goldschmidt on the uh, you know on the line, and and we maybe we could resolve this more quickly.
0: You know, I was thinking about this the other day um, in 2020 because I got friends, as probably you do too, that are down in Jupiter. So in 2020, when guys were just you know hanging out and trying to figure out what to do. Um, you could drive by a park and on a park uh, field, you might see Max Scherzer throwing to Paul Goldschmidt and, you know, you could have an all-star lineup. And my, my point is, is that if you pulled into that park and you saw a really nice fleet of cars, you probably were going to see a good baseball game of major leaguers getting ready for the season. So you might be seeing that again here in 2022, who knows?
1: That's right. The major leaguers really are left to their own to work out there. As folks know, when the lockout means that they're prohibited from uh, reporting to their facilities, at least officially, and they're prohibited from working with coaches. So, you know, the guys are really on their own to get ready for the majors. And as we've talked about before, uh, you know, the Scherzers and Wainwrights and Goldschmidt's and, and Arnatos, they're going to be fine. But the, the younger players like the, you know, Ivan Herreras, uh, who are – prohibited from joining camp but really need that time in a major league camp to to further their career, they're the ones that are really caught in the lurch. Some of the other prospects that are not on the 40-man roster and therefore not locked out a la Gorman and Libertor, you know, they're going to be in minor league camp, but they should be in major league camp. They should be trying to get ready to earn a major league spot, but they can't because of this lockout.
0: Yeah, and and for folks that don't know, if you're thinking about heading to Jupiter, Florida, the minor league camp officially begins March 5th, correct, Brian?
1: That's right, and at this point in time, we've been told that unofficially, because nothing official has come out, that uh, protocols will be the same as always, which means Fans should be able to access the fields at some parts of the day. We don't know yet when games will start, but traditionally that's around the middle of the month. There'll be a couple weeks of of minor league games. Uh, Typically they're done, well, always they're done, with the Mets, Marlins, Nationals, or Astros, the four teams in the area. But we don't have the schedules yet. But uh, hopefully for those fans who are going to Florida hoping to see Major League Baseball, even if the lockout continues, uh, you can head on the backfields, and usually around 1 o'clock every day, uh, you'll be able to see some minor league games on the George Kissel Quad.
0: Yeah, something very important, I think, to point out, and we're going to get into, uh, I think, a labor of love here with Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. Number one, please subscribe to his website. It is just tremendous especially during spring training when you watch some of these minor league guys hopefully compete in a major league camp and if you don't go down there if you're watching on television you're going to see some of the players we talk about but one of the things I think that is important to uh, point out and I'll get into your top 50 here in just a moment but it looks like the AAA season is going to be a little bit longer I'm going to hit you with this uh, it's going to be a little bit longer this year about 150 games is that correct
1: that's right. The, the A the minor leagues will start uh, the first week in April, and the AAA schedule has been extended for one reason, and that is that in the old days, well, until a few years ago, uh, major league teams were allowed in the month of September to bring up any player that they wanted on their 40-man roster and keep them at the major league level. Now that rule changed at the same time that they added the 26th man all year long, and you, if you know, if you're a balance sheet person, you can kind of guess why that might have happened. So now in September, Major League teams can only increase their roster from 26 to 28 active players. So what happens if you have a rash of injuries or a rash of COVID that knocks out half a dozen players? You've got to have a ready supply of players to call up to the Major Leagues during September. And the only way you can do that is by having A continue to play. Don't send those players home. So this is done for one reason, and that is to make sure that the Major League teams have ready available players when injuries occur in the final stretch of the season
0: sure makes a lot of sense okay uh was i correct in saying brian that this is a labor of love going through your uh, your top 50 and ranking these guys
1: yeah i've done it we've done it for 20 years or so on the side and it's something that you know we do during the winter to step back and look at prospects we talk with scouts we talk with uh, player development people and you know kind of take all that input and decide number one where do we think these guys are going to end up as a major leaguer. Not if everything works out because, you know, if everything worked out, everybody would be a future all-star. But realistically, you know, where are these players going to land? Are they going to be an up-and-down player? Are they going to be a bench player? Could they be a starter in the major leagues? Could they be a guy who could potentially be above average or a future all-star? So kind of use that. We look at where the players are now in the system and assess Okay, you know, you look at a Nolan Gorman and you say, well, you know, he's on the cusp of the majors, the risk that he's not going to be able to achieve what's expected of him is relatively low. On the other hand, you look at a Joshua Baez who was just drafted this year and he's, you know, playing down on the backfields in Jupiter and didn't have a really good first year, you say, well, his risk of achieving you know he could be a major league starter someday, but there's a lot of ground to cover between here and there, and you kind of have to take that into account when doing prospect rankings as well. So it's it's all these variables kind of come together and but there's no magic, you know, there's no one formula. This is a this is a very subjective type of merit. We try to put as much um, uh, structure as we can around, but but ultimately there are guys who fall short of what is expected of them, and there are guys like Lars Núñez who come really out of nowhere, wasn't considered a, a big prospect by anybody, and you know became a, a key part of the Cardinals in 2021. So you know it's a lot of fun, and it's a good effort, and it's a good thing to look at as you see minor league players play to understand what about them got them to where they are and the things that they need to do to continue to improve to one day contribute at the major league level.
0: And a lot of that, in going back to Nupar, and I'm going to go with your top five here momentarily, but like Nupar, a lot of that work was done this time last year on backfields when major leaguers need to work and they say, hey, bring this Lars Newpark kid over on a backfield to face Joe Blow. Or we need an outfielder. We need a guy to step in and take some plate appearances. And that is when, even if you're not on the main stage at Roger Dean, a lot of these guys make an impression and the major league staff doesn't forget that. And that's something that is lost right now by not having the opening of spring training. And that's what's really disappointing for me.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Dan. When when the lockout finally does end, whenever it ends, we know that there's going to be a a flurry of activity. There's dozens of good free agent major league players who are looking for jobs, and the schedule is going to be compressed because both sides are going to want to get spring training uh, done as quickly as possible so they can start playing the major league schedule, which generates money for the, the owners, et cetera, et cetera. So the young players who would normally come to camp and hope over a long 30-day spring training to get significant innings, to get significant at-bats late in games, those guys are going to get squeezed out because there's not going to be time to look at them. There's not going to be roster spots. And so, and, and to top it off, if the lockout, let's say the lockout continues another month, now the minor leaguers are going to be set to leave Jupiter, Florida, to head to Memphis or head to Springfield. So Nolan Gorman and Matthew Libertor and the others – are you going to keep them in Florida and wait for the lockout to potentially end, or are you going to send them to Memphis and play? And once they get to Memphis, would you bring them back for a major league camp? So there's just this huge mess, and, and you know, prospects aren't the first thing on anybody's list, but nobody's really thinking about these impacts and how it hurts the player development pipeline to have this uncertainty around the game.
0: So let's go with your top five. Let's start with number five. Who do you have?
1: Mason Wynn, shortstop slash pitcher, although, you know, in his first uh full season plus a, a partial season in 2020 mason Wynn really only pitched a small amount and i i see that mason Wynn has the capability very exciting player of uh, extremely athletic uh a great really solid shortstop in terms of range in his arm obviously if he can pick they'll throw upper 90s as a pitcher um uh can steal bases hasn't yet swung the bat as well as you'd like but we're talking about a, a young man who's still a teenager uh, but the question's going to be, now Mason Wynn played at high A Peoria, and you could see him advancing to double A fairly quickly, if not initially in the season, fairly quickly. But at some point in time, they're either going to have to slow him down for his pitching to kind of catch up with his play in the field, or they're going to have to say, hey, you know, we're going to abandon this two-way thing, or at most he's going to be an emergency reliever type. My point is a player, a two-way player has to advance his skills at both posi- both positions to be ready to face the competition at the next level. And Mason Wynn has spent the vast, vast majority of his time so far as a Cardinal as a shortstop, not as a right-handed pitcher.
0: How about number four?
1: Number four, catcher Yvonne Herrera. We've talked about him before as the heir apparent to replace Yadier Molina. He's a guy that who's on the 40-man roster, therefore is locked out. So he's not going to be able to go to Memphis to start the season. Um, you know, It's not expected that he would... Uh, make the major league roster but he's a guy that i would have expected that we would see a lot of work in spring training in major league games he um, finished double a last year improved as the season went on he's certainly slated to be the starting catcher at triple a memphis when he's allowed to play and you know then you're only one injury away The of course the Cardinals also have Ali Sanchez, who's on the, the 40-man roster, who we've seen before. And I think those two would, would make the catching duo at Memphis this year, with Herrera having a very good chance of making the Major League roster by next spring.
0: How about number three?
1: Number three, Matthew Libertor, the left-hander that we have all watched. Uh, he spent all year last year at AAA, uh, pitched for uh, Team USA, uh, pitched in the Futures game. Uh, has done everything that the Cardinals led the system in innings pitch last year, has done everything the Cardinals have asked of him. He still might have to return to Memphis to start the season, depending on what, how they want to use him. And what I mean is, are they going to have him come up like a Dakota Hudson and spend his first year in the bullpen? Or are they going to have him continue to start and be sort of the next guy up when they need another starting pitcher in the rotation? And as we've seen, while St. Louis starting five, you know, seems to be set, we, um, know that when an injury, you know, there's going to be injuries occur. Guys were, were injured last year, and the Cardinals needed starters, and so we saw the Johan Oviedo's and Jake Woodford step in. And that's not a bad thing, but, you know, you, you'd think that Matthew Libertor is now at the point where he has earned his shot to get a chance to start in the major leagues, and a lot of it is going to depend on what happens with others because he looks to be pretty close to being ready.
0: How about number two?
1: Now, this is an interesting discussion. If you look at some of the national Uh, raiders. I'm curious
0: about this one.
1: Yeah, folks have pulled Jordan Walker ahead of Nolan Gorman. And it gets back to the point of what, on our list, Jordan Walker is number two. And the reason that I kept Jordan Walker at number two is that he had an exceptional 2021 season. There's no doubt about it. He tore up low A, went to high A, and and, uh, had a little bit of a slow start, but was playing exceptionally well by the time the season ends. He showed great discipline. He showed power. He showed an ability to steal bases. Uh, question about where he's going to end up defensively, but he's not a bad defender at third base, but you know he could end up being an outfield corner outfielder or, or maybe a first baseman down the road. But Jordan Walker, tremendous potential, but he's only done it one year, and he's only done it in Class A ball. He's still got to show that he can handle double A, triple A, and there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to do that, but the question is do you put him ahead of a Nolan Gorman who has mastered triple A? He's played in advanced leagues. He's ready for the major leagues. And so I, you know, in a close call, decided that Jordan Walker was going to be number two this year. Nolan Gorman's going to be number one. Now, the way that I get out of this dilemma pretty easily is as soon as Nolan Gorman gets to the major leagues and gets his 130 at-bats, he's no longer a prospect. Then Walker moves up to number one anyway. So, you know, this is a potato-potato discussion. Jordan <laughs> Walker and Nolan Gorman are two nationally ranked prospects. They're appearing in everybody's lists, and uh, everybody's top 100 list nationally, and it's great for the Cardinals to have such a a wealth of of, uh, players in the infield.
0: Yeah, it it really is. And then number one is Nolan Gorman. So I guess the question would be, Brian, what else does he have to do to get to the big leagues?
1: Well, I think that the Cardinals certainly want to see him uh, continue to improve his hitting from both sides of the plate. He had some splits, some split issues, um, but and of course and continue to improve his defense at second base i don't think long haul nolan gorman is going to be a designated hitter we know he's not going to be a third baseman he supposedly has moved to second base full time so then the question becomes when will there be an opening at second base now tommy edmund is the second baseman he earned a gold glove uh not the hitter that nolan gorman is but edmund's clearly a better defender but edmund also has the skills to play shortstop he has the skills to to play third base if a need develops over there due to injury. So the Cardinals have a lot of moving pieces that will they'll need to figure out Certainly the most obvious is to have Gorman participate among the designated hitter mix early in the season, but they also have Juan Paz, who's our number six-ranked prospect, who has certainly earned a spot and, and defensively is better suited for the designated hitter. We've got Brendan Donovan, who's a very, very good hitter, who's also an infielder. So there's a lot of guys in the mix to, to compete for those few roster spots and those few at-bats because one of the things we don't really think about is, with a 26 man roster and a full-time designated hitter that only leaves you with four players on the bench. So you've got to, the Cardinals have to be very careful uh, which guys they call up. And there could be some movement, you know, up and forth down I-55 between St. Louis and Memphis, depending on whether guys like Yepes and Donovan uh, hit. I think when Nolan Gorman comes up, unless there are some problems, you know, he's, he's going to be up to stay. He's going to be up to play.
0: Yeah. It's interesting with Gorman. I mean, I've been asked so much about this. My, my general, Answer to the question is, you know, if Nolan Gorman's going to be a DH, and I don't know if you agree with this or not, Brian, But and you talked about it a little bit there, I'm not sure the club wants to pigeonhole him as just a hitter because he's so young, and the upside with him of being a, an efficient defender, whether it's at third or second, um, is there. So I, I don't know if they want to do that. But on the flip side, I also say I'm not so sure I want to move Tommy Edman around. You know, we're talking about a gold glover, doesn't get enough credit for the kind of player he is. Um, does he walk enough? No, if he's going to be a leadoff hitter. But is he a, a good player? You're darn right he is. And he's a really good defender. And I'm not sure I want to rob Peter to pay Paul to to do this because what got you into uh, the postseason, if you're the Cardinals, you're saying, well, our defense was really good and Tommy Edmond was a big part of that. So I'm not sure I want to make that move just yet.
1: I I get where you're coming from, and I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer. I yeah. think that early, you know early in the season – Uh, the Cardinals are going to want to see if Paul DeYoung can, can return to his prior form. If Edmundo Sosa can play well. But if, you know, if shortstop continues to be below average uh, offensively, you know, Tommy Edmond is a tantalizing Solution to try to deal with that problem, and that also then frees a, a job for Nolan Gorman and Tommy Ender came through the minor league system as a shortstop, so it's not like shortstop is is foreign to him. I think putting him in the outfield was more of an emergency move and something that I hope the Cardinals aren't uh, forced to do. But that's another issue in that there's not a lot of outfield depth. You know, fortunately Lars Nootbaar uh, stepped forward, but only after a number of other guys failed last year. They tried Williams. You know they tried uh, Austin Dean. They tried, uh, you know, a number of guys who didn't who didn't cut it in the outfield. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how new out manager Oliver Marmol deals with all these moving parts.
0: And finally, you mentioned him earlier, but Baez. I'll throw Burleson at you, Palante, Donovan. So these are guys, kind of some a little higher than others in your top fifty rankings. And again, go to thecardinalnation.com. You can read about the top prospects of the Cardinals. Do you see any of those guys or anybody else that I'm missing making that uh, Uber jump this year that we're not talking about that could wind up in the top ten or maybe wind up in the big leagues this year?
1: Yeah, the four guys you mentioned are, are coincidentally number eleven through number fourteen, so they're on the cusp. Brendan Donovan uh, can play all over. Never batted below three hundred in the minor leagues. Uh, had success in AAA. Played well in the Arizona Fall League. So he's a guy that's you know sort of like an Edmund but but more of a bat guy than a glove guy. Um, he's a guy that definitely could contribute. Alec Burleson, I just talked about the depth in the outfield. Alec Burleson reached AAA, uh, you, you know, moved through multiple levels last year um, and has good potential as a corner outfielder. Maybe needs to show a bit more power, but he's a guy that could become the de facto fifth outfielder. And, you know, when there's an injury, obviously Newt Barr would be the first guy to step into the lineup. You know, maybe Carlson moves to center depending on the, how it, who's hurt and how it juggles. But then, you know, kind of who's your next man up? Uh, because, uh, you know, Nick Plummer's gone. Williams is gone. Uh, a number of those guys are gone. And you look at the AAA outfielder and there's there's really not much there. So I definitely think Alec Brosing is a guy who could come in the picture later. Andre Palante, uh made great steps forward, uh, was good, was really good in Double A, good in the Arizona Fall League, doesn't have a AAA seasoning yet. So he's probably a guy that, you know, might come into the picture in the second half. Uh, and then, of course, Zach Thompson, who we never really talk much about because he's so overshadowed by Libertor, he took his lumps last year, uh, went down to Arizona and pitched well. Again, won't be a guy to make the club out of, the, out of a camp, but he's a guy, I think, Zach Thompson that we'll see in the Major Leagues at some point in, in later in 2022.
0: Hey, Brian, you do such a great job, and this is usually a time that I'm stealing all your information, so thank you very much. Uh, I like to steal the things out of your, your prospect guide. You don't mind that I do that, do you?
1: No, and uh, you know that's one of the things on my to-do list. We're a little later than normal rolling out the the top 50 because we wanted to have uh, sure. you know, continued news during the lockout. But I've got to get the prospect guide together, and I'll be doing that soon and uh, accepting pre-orders for that. It'll come out uh, during spring training, uh, highlighting all the 50 prospects and tons and tons of background information, historical information. You know, If you care about the Cardinals minor leagues, it's the place to go.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what else are you doing on thecardinalnation.com? Because you have content that's up there every day, so you just finished up the top 50. Uh, what do you look forward to now? What What can fans look forward to?
1: Well, there's a series of about 10 articles where I delve into the top 50 and slice and dice it in a number of ways. We look at how the prospects have evolved over time, how they've moved up the rankings or moved down the rankings. We look at the breakdown of the top uh, 50 by what positions they play we look at how our picks did last year versus and the ones that went well the ones that we missed on so we do a little self-auditing uh we look at the the players strictly by their potential only taking away the risk we look at when they're going to debut in the major leagues in our opinion we talk about rule five because that's a factor that affects yep. when players get added to the roster so a bunch of the different ways to look at these prospects that affect how they might uh reach the major leagues.
0: It's great stuff. TheCardinalNation.com. Love our visits on these Wednesdays, and Brian, have a great day, and thanks for doing this as always.
1: Talk to you next Wednesday, Dan.